It is a weird. It is a lot of rotation. All right, let, let's do this in three, two, one. Well, it is another Terminello take tonight here on Alex Garrett Podcasting. Lou, I feel like we're going to have a lot of breaking news coming up during the week, especially with the U.S. and Iran tomorrow. But, I mean, come on now. You got your Jets' Mike White. I know you were nervous about him, but here he is against the Bears. And let me ask you straight out the gate, did they? Did he win because it's the Bears or because it's Mike White? Well, uh, combination a combination of both. I would I would I would think uh, the one thing is Mike White, and again, Alex, thank you for having me on as usual. Um, he had total control of the offense immediately. Uh, they definitely opened up the playbook a little bit. Um, that they didn't for Zach Wilson. Uh, he wasn't a game manager. He was a full service quarterback. Mike White was. Um, he throws a beautiful ball. You saw it right away in a driving rainstorm. Uh, the running game was ineffective in the first half, but uh, he was able to move the ball down the field against a, against a weak defense. Let's face it, nobody's going to confuse yesterday's Chicago Bears with the 1985 Chicago Bear defense. Um, you know, in the second half, the Jets got the running game going. Ty Johnson and Zonovan Knight, who I know the Jets were high on in training camp, but when I saw that uh, Robinson was a healthy scratch at 12 o'clock, I was surprised at that at that roster move. But uh, both Johnson and Knight, after Michael Carter got hurt, they ran behind an offensive line that did a great job. Um, they were aggressive. They ran with purpose. And um, they weren't tentative. They did what running backs are supposed to do. Um, LaFleur, who I was critical of last week for not helping Zach Wilson, well, maybe Zach Wilson couldn't execute some of the plays that LaFleur wanted to uh, uh, put in there. Because yesterday, LaFleur looked like a genius. Um, Mike White, flawless. In a driving rainstorm, he throws a nice ball. He doesn't have a big-time arm. He throws a nice ball, and he leads his guys, his receivers, where they can make yards after catch. That's important. So it was a big day for the Jets yesterday. You even saw the – there was just a pep in the step of of the offense. They got Elijah Moore into the game Obviously, he, he was happy. Uh, Garrett Wilson is going to be a tremendous uh, player for the Jets in future years. Caught two touchdowns. Uh, it, it was it was a good day. He uh, he gave, uh, what did he pick out six or seven, eight different receivers. It, it was a very very good day for Mike White, who did not have a good tr- big training camp. I understand, and uh, uh, I guess just got better and better as the season went along, and. We'll see what happens. Tough test in Minnesota on on Sunday, but uh, the Jets are right there. Well, let's talk about being right there because I know the Giants have had now two off weeks, but the fact is, Lou, we haven't seen a December where both teams are competing for a playoff spot in their own conference. It's a, it a, I feel like, because of what we dealt with, it's an achievement just to see both in competition here. You're 100% correct. Nobody expected this, especially from the Jets' side. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's nice now as the uh, calendar turns into to December that both teams will be playing meaningful games. 
the Giants have a very winnable game at home this week with uh, with Washington. Uh, I think that uh, they'll always be ready to play, which brings me to last Thursday's game, which they gave a big-time effort with a lot of injuries. But the difference between the Giants and Dallas on Thursday, even though Dallas won in the second half, Dallas was dominant, the difference was Brian Dable and the coaching staff had them ready to play. Mike McCarthy, who I'm not sure is a big-time coach, I don't think he is, um, even though he did win the Super Bowl during the peak years of Aaron Rodgers, he did not have his team ready to play. Dallas had a terrible first half. Just look at that first Dallas possession when they go for it on their own 39 or 40-yard line. That shows no respect for the opposition, and uh, they didn't get it. The Giants did get a field goal. They probably should have got a touchdown because uh, that illegal man downfield had nothing to do with the play. And that's something that maybe the NFL has to look at on certain plays like that. When there's um, uh, an infraction that really has nothing to do with the play that didn't give the, the, the defensive team an advantage. And I know it would be hard for the referees, the officials to, uh, to do. Um, they might have to look at something like that. But um, the Giants were ready to play. Dallas came out. They weren't. Um, And I said last week, Dallas, coming off their dominant game against Minnesota, needs needs to be dominantly consistent. They're not. They're still not. So they'll be interesting to look at going down the stretch. But with a banged up. We're a banged-up roster. The Giants are always ready to play, That's and they'll the be ready to play Sunday. Seem to pile up, but I, I have to, I have to challenge you a little bit. I think Washington's not going to be an easy win for this team, like it has been it in is the past. Not going, I mean, you're, you're, looks you are correct. Established now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a very good defense. Washington does. I don't think Chase Young, even though he was activated, I don't think he played uh, uh, down yesterday. Uh, Oh, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that it's uh, that the Giants are going to win on Sunday. It's a winnable game. It's a winnable game at home. And if they want to try to make the playoffs, they got to they got to win Sunday because they have a tough schedule coming up. They're going to have to play at Washington. Um, they're going to have to play at Minnesota. They, uh, they have to play Philadelphia twice. Now, the last game of the season may not mean anything for Philadelphia, who offensively looked dominant last night against Green Bay. I'm not so sure about them on the defensive side of the ball. You could still run on them, even with the additions that they uh, uh, recently uh, signed with uh, Sue and uh, and Joseph. But uh, last night they ran for 363 yards. That's the most that Eagle team has done since 1948. That was before I was born, Alex. <laughs> You know, and Jalen Hurts is is a big reason for that. But I've got to ask you this while we're on the Eagles. Did you know they had time to drop a Christmas album in the midst of their 9-1 season? Well, I guess they're letting success, they're taking advantage of their successful season. I did not know that, uh, <laughs> that they recorded a Christmas album. I think it's hilarious. Um, but uh, now, you know, I don't know if it's a winnable game against the Eagles. Are you saying, though, the Giants offense could have a shot here? Against the Eagles, it, right now, the Giants would be up against it. Um, but again, the NFL, you never know what's going to happen in the NFL. Look what happened yesterday uh, in Cleveland. Uh, Tampa Bay losing the, uh, in overtime to Cleveland. They gave up 
um, the tying touchdown on fourth down. The Tampa Bay defense, which is supposed to be Super Bowl good, gave up a touchdown. Uh, there was a curious lack of time management with uh, Coach Bowles after that. That uh, cost them 17 seconds, and they had all three of their timeouts left. Um, so Tampa, the only the good thing going for Tampa is they're five and six, and they, and they're still in first place in a terrible division. Um, so you never know what can happen ha- can happen in this league. Could the Giants beat Philly? Sure, they could. Is it likely if the way the rosters are right now? No. But is, if Jalen Hurts gets hurt before they play him in a couple of weeks, that changes everything. I mean, MVP candidates, you got Mahomes, you got uh, uh, Jalen Hurts, you have Josh Allen, and, you, and I still you got, you got to put Burrow in there, and you got to put Kirk Cousins in there. It's only quarterbacks. Nobody else, in my opinion, is uh, an MVP candidate. So far, could that change on the stretch? Maybe. I want to talk about that with you because I thought that um, I thought that Allen and the line that they the Lions gave him a run for their money. You know, I was kind of wishing for the upset just because that would have been interesting to see on Thanksgiving. I mean, are the Lions a threat here? You know, in the near future, even. I, mean, I, would, I would say so. Now, the Lions had a chance to win that game on Thursday. Late in the game, some very curious play calling by, by the coach, by, by Coach Campbell, um, on uh, some long passes where they, only, where they, in short yard situations, Josh Allen should have never had time, and he didn't have a lot of time, but Josh Allen doesn't need a lot of time left on the clock to get in the field goal range, and then he threw that perfect 39-yard pass to to Shelton Diggs, which set them up in, in the uh, field goal range. But, yes, the Lions are on the come. There's no doubt about it. They will be a tough out the rest of the way. All right, much well, so, very much in so. Michigan, obviously, yeah. they came back to a gleeful Ann Arbor on Saturday night to Michigan football. Uh, Harbaugh is the real deal. He's now won two, but this one, 45, what, 45 points against the Ohio State Buckeyes, and, and no one saw that coming. Well, you said, you know, he had beaten Ohio State last year at Michigan, breaking that long streak uh, against Ohio State. But, yes, this one, like you just said, that this is the one that uh, stamps the deal because it came at Columbus. Uh, They won in a way I didn't expect them to win. I mean, they had four long touchdown plays. They didn't hammer it out. They didn't uh, uh, blow them off the ball. Uh, two long touchdown runs uh, and two long touchdown passes and uh, had to throw that 100,000 uh, Ohio State crowd into into shock. I was shocked by the score. I never thought it would be that high scoring a game. I really thought the game was going to be like 21-17, 28-24. But um, and remember, Michigan played right out the Blake Corum. Right, they, and, they and, 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 and their, quarter, their and running back the was sort of banged up also, but he scored a couple touchdowns for him. Yeah, he did, and uh, long runs. So, um, yeah, Harbaugh's done a great job. There's no doubt about it. And uh, they're in the playoff no matter what happens this week. I doubt it that they'll lose to Purdue. Um, and uh, so, you know, you got, you got Georgia there in. Uh, Michigan is in. 
I think TCU is in no matter what happens against Kansas State on USC Saturday is the afternoon. Toss-up, though, isn't it? Pardon me? USC would be the toss-up. I mean, they got national stages. Right. It's going to be USC and Utah are going to play Friday night in the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, if USC wins that game, I think they're in. Remember, Utah is the only team to have beaten them during the regular season, albeit a nail-biter in overtime in Salt Lake City. But uh, USC has done an amazing job in Lincoln Riley's first year. Caleb Williams is a terrific quarterback. Uh, Their defense isn't great. But uh, if they win and there's no other upsets or anything like that, uh, I I think that that they're going to be your fourth team. And it will probably be, it'll probably be Georgia will be, be one, Michigan will be two. Um, then you have uh, USC three and uh, TCU four. Unless there's some, an upset in these championship games, which could change the seeding. It's not going to change who goes. Um, so you'll have, in the, in the semifinal game, you'll have what used to be a traditional Rose Bowl game in USC versus Michigan. But, again, we'll see what happens on uh, Friday night. Utah's very good. Um, but um, even if Utah wins, they're not going to make the playoffs. All right. Now, you know what's kind of interesting is Purdue is going to face Michigan in the Big Ten, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. And that was an early season victory for Syracuse. So do those big wins early on help them in a bowl, uh, ideal bowl scenario, or is that out the window after losing five in a row? No, you, no Syracuse is going to get a bowl game. Um, that's for sure. Uh, they should have beaten Clemson at Clemson. A couple of calls went against them by, uh, uh, by the officials. But they still had a chance to win the game. I never expected them to lose five in a row after starting six and zero, and and they'll get one of these mid-level bowl games, uh, maybe as, you know, the Pinstripe or, or, or the Liberty Bowl or something like that, uh, wherever the ACC has a tie-in. Uh, but they'll they'll get they'll get one more game. But what I meant is, I guess the strength of play early on does that determine where they get a bowl or no? Um, you no, know, it could it absolutely. Remember. That, that's a factor. The other factor is where they can go where they're going to draw some fans. So I don't think you're going to see Syracuse playing in the, uh, uh, the Great Potato Bowl or uh, it's played in Boise. I don't even think it's called the Great Potato Bowl anymore. They, get, they have another corporate name. Or I don't think you're going to see Syracuse playing in, uh, in Shreveport I, um, against you know, a, a, a Southeast Conference team. So I think it'll be it'll be something where they might play in maybe the military bowl. I don't know all the tie-ups. I know the the pinstripe is ACC versus uh, versus Big Twelve. Uh, I think You're talking earlier maybe belt, Kansas, right? That would be interesting. It, it, it could it could be it could be Kansas who starts six and zero and ended up six and six, but they're still going to get a bowl game because there's way too many bowl games, and they're all made for TV. And really, the only bowls that really matter are the other big six, which includes the two bowls that encompass the uh, national semifinals. I mean, the idea they're going to expand this thing is getting ridiculous, isn't it? Meaning the college football playoff? I, I agree. I thought four was too little. 
I thought eight would be right. I don't like 12. Well, I don't know how the regular season is going to look like. Um, I know with 12, there's going to be, there's going to be some buys and uh, teams will be playing their first rounds uh, on their home campus sites. Interesting. So they've earned that right. Um, but we have to see. I just, I think going from four to twelve might be a little bit too much. I thought I th- always thought eight was the right number, but again, remember, for sixty years, you know, it was uh, no playoff at all. Then they had the the BCS championship game, which were just two teams. Then they went to four. Now they're going to twelve. So. Well, you know, I also think that this, they want to do something like what happened Saturday night, which is, and I want to hammer this point home, is USC was highlighted on the national circuit for the first time really all season. I mean, you know, they've been doing their thing in the Pac-12, but mm-hmm. against Notre Dame, a big profile game in ABC, yeah. I mean, the, you know, I think the NCAA wants to create those kind of moments and high profile moments for those we don't see every week. Well, I think what's going to happen as a, as these super conferences expand as we see USC and UCLA in the Big Ten. We see the Big 12 expansion. We see Texas and Oklahoma in a couple of years going to the Southeastern Conference. And there's still going to be some some realignment movement. I think what you're going to see, because of what you just said, you're, going to, you're not going to see Syracuse playing Wagner like they, like they did this year or any of these teams. I don't think you're going to see Notre Dame uh, – uh, playing UNLV, I think you're going to see more conference games or your non-conference games are going to be against another power conference team. Alabama, Alabama versus Ohio State, Michigan versus Texas. I think you're going to see more of those games because that's what they'll be looking for from a TV standpoint. Because TV is going to be paying a, a lot of money to these conferences moving forward. I don't think you're going to see uh, uh, those FCS teams playing. Um, one million know, dollar out, teams that uh, might pull off an upset, right? Those that pay one million dollars or get paid a million dollars. Right. Say. Well, they, they, that's what they, they pay. They pay them basically for a scrimmage. You know, Georgia, Georgia State playing, uh, uh, playing Alabama. You know, so I think you're going to I think you'll see more high profile games. And uh, I think they'll probably increase conference games. I mean, the the Southeast Conference might add a a conference game. So so we'll see. It'll be very interesting. I still think, I still thought eight would have been the perfect number, but we'll see. All right. Can I get to the untold story of sports, which I, I know it's only Monday, but I feel like it has to be told because we're ramping up for Team USA against Iran. I think the fact that Qatar to make up all of this investment, I think there's a 220 plus billion investing. That would mean selling three billion barrels of crude oil in a market that is needing oil. I mean, how relatable is it to current events that that's the amount of barrels a study found? Uh, it, it's just unbelievable how much they've invested in this. And now, I mean, we could be in line to buy the oil because that's all we're doing now is buying oil from other countries. <laughs> well, you know. Uh... I guess the tournament is expected to bring in $4.5 billion in revenue for FIFA. But considering that uh, uh, the investment that Qatar had to make of $220 billion, 
to prepare for the World Cup, for the construction of the new stadiums, uh, the renovation of uh, uh, another one, and uh, building of roads, hotels, the uh, railway system. It's just crazy. It, 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 it's unbelievable. But um, You mean Qatar got you know, its so infrastructure have to better together than we do here in America? Oil. Pardon me? You mean Qatar got its infrastructure together quicker than we do here in America? Yeah, yeah they did. <laughs> they did, but now, now they're going to have to uh, sell about 3 billion uh, barrels of crude oil to help uh, make up that deficit. And so that crude oil is going to be burned and what, uh, 925, 928 uh, million tons of carbon dioxide? It's wild. <laughs> it's wild. I just think it's notable because nobody really knows the financial of it. They only know the human rights abuses of it. So to add the finance is just getting even crazier with it all. Oh, it does. And again, um, Fox hasn't. Fox hasn't talked about any of the human rights violations. I know they're in a tough spot just like NBC was in the Olympics when the Olympics were in in China, and even uh, four years ago when they were in uh, Russia. But four years ago, the World Cup was in Russia also. Well, four years ago, the World Cup was in Russia. In 2014, the Olympics were in... Uh, was 2014? Yes. 2014, the Olympics were in, uh, in, in, in Russia. Again, they really don't talk about that, but um, it's, all about, it's, all about, it's all about the money. It's all about uh, putting on a show, and the games have been well-produced. I mean, I can't complain about it. Somebody who worked uh, for a franchise, and I know all about game operations, um, unless I'm missing something and I'm not there, I'm watching on TV, the uh, uh, game operations look, look flawless from the entrance of the team to the, to the anthem. Uh, again, it's, it seems like they have the, everything under control on that angle, but again, uh, they, they're bringing them to these countries that just want to show what a great country they are, which they should. But that doesn't really it doesn't really judge what's going on under the surface. It's not like having a big time event in Paris or London or in the United States uh, where if it's more you're more free. So so we'll see. But getting but tomorrow. Against Iran, the United States has to win. A tie does them no good. Uh, they have to. The United States has to score first, in my opinion. By the uh, way, kudos to Bruce Arena. He's battle. a local guy in the sense of he ran the uh, what the Red Bulls for a while here. So that's how I know the name. Right, he ran the Red Bulls when they were still a Metro Stars before they changed their nickname. Um, he's a defensive coach. So if Iran scores first, all of a sudden. It puts mental and physical pressure on the United States to score. And they I didn't know realize that I, well, they that, lost in '98 to them, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That and that was that was tough because it was right during one of the many, uh, let's say, conflicts that uh, we were having with Iran at that time, and uh, they did beat us. Um, but they got to score first. They, they, United States has to go first. They got to come out like they did against Wales and even against England. They got to be aggressive. Uh, they got to score first. If they get the first two goals, they'll be in good shape. Well, I know we were proud to see them draw, although there were a lot of things. And then there were some 
off the field or on the field drama about this 20-year-old U.S. guy who was not playing even though he could have. Do you know anything about that drama? Gio Reyna, um, his father is a Jersey boy, a New Jersey boy. He played for the Metro Stars slash Red Bulls. He played for the United States national team. Um, he says he's healthy. The coach says he's not. It's it's one of those, it's a real weird situation. Uh, he's going to be a superstar. He plays in the Bundesliga first division. He's 20 years old. He's that good. Uh, so I don't know if he's going to play tomorrow. But that is controversial. There's a ring of mystery around it, and uh, we'll see. But again, if they don't win tomorrow doesn't matter. But if they don't win tomorrow, I think you're going to hear more, and they do get eliminated, you'll hear more stories. Where is Gio Reyna? Why didn't he play? Well, we'll have to because see Because the kid that. the other right. day said, I'm healthy. So he's contradicting his coach. And that's, uh, you know, we've seen that. Uh, I don't know. We, we see that in all kinds of sports. All right. Now, I know you're hyped about baseball. we got the ballot out now and A-Rod and I think Ramirez are on there is that correct uh, among the few well what, well uh, are you on you're talking about people who have been on the ballot for a couple of years or, or the new guys that have uh, that you are going to be on, the on it newly released year. 2023 ballot I think A-Rod's name is still on there right yes his, his name is still on there uh, and um, it's his second year Obviously, he's a Hall of Famer for, for what he did, but unfortunately, he is lumped in with the steroid guys. I mean, he was suspended for a year because of it, um, but he's there with Clemens and Sosa and McGuire and, and Barry Bonds and Palmero. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how many people vote for him. I do not think he's, he's going to get in. Uh, really, when you look at the ballot, Alex, to me, they've turned the Hall of Fame into the Hall of Very Good. Mm-hmm. I know even putting some guys in who I don't think are Hall of Famers, um, there's like 2.3% of anybody who's ever played Major League Baseball in the Hall of Fame. That's not a lot, but there's still some guys there that, for me, are head scratchers. But I'm looking at this list that – the, the writers are pushing Scott Rowland. This is his sixth year. I always thought Scott Rowland was a very good player. I never thought of him as a Hall of Famer. Neither do I think Todd Helton was a Hall of Famer. Neither do I think Andrew Jones, who was a tremendous center fielder. This is going to be his sixth uh, try was a Hall of Famer. Gary, Shelf- Gary Sheffield, this is his ninth try. I know he hit 500 home runs. Um, I don't see him as a Hall of Famer. I don't know... In the finish home run era, 500 home runs is um, a, that, a benchmark. Alex Rodriguez, like I said, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. He didn't have to cheat to be in a Hall of Fame. He didn't have to use performance-enhancing drugs. He was a Hall of Famer before that. Um, now, an interesting one, Jeff Kent. Uh, this is his 10th and final year on a regular ballot. To me, Jeff Kent is a Hall of Famer. Uh, he was MVP. Uh, he was a, uh, he got every big hit for the Giants. 
uh, when he played, and they were they didn't they never got to the promised land, but uh, he got every big hit. Manny Ramirez, man, I remember he made plays that no one thought he could make. Yeah, I mean, and he yeah he was not a great by the analysts a great defender, but he made plays that nobody made. He was you just you said hard nose. Um, Manny Ramirez is a Hall of Famer, but again, is the, uh, the steroids are going to hold him back? This is his seventh try, so he's probably not going to make it. Um, then you have some other guys who are not Hall of Famers: um, Jimmy Rollins, uh, Mark Burley, Andy Pettit, Matt Cain, Jacoby Ellsbury. They're all on the ballot. For, uh, some of these guys are on the ballot for the first time. Uh, you know, it's really a waste. And then you have Carlos Beltran. Out of all the first-timers, I I don't look at him as a Hall of Famer. I would say he's borderline. Uh, he's the best Met center fielder, in my opinion, ever. He was a true five-tool player, but he was a five-tool player at, at the Hall of Fame level. Great switch hitter. The Astro situation will really mark mm-hmm. him, though. Yeah, that, that, that could, that could uh, definitely work against him. He had 16 homers in 65 postseason games. He had a 307 postseason batting average. He had four home runs in two different postseason series. 1999 AL Rookie of the Year. He finished second in 2006 wins with the Mets for MVP. He has tw- almost he has 2,700 and 25 hits. He stole 435 bases, stole 312 bases, and was only thrown out 49 times. Nearly 87% success rate. Uh, Three-time Golden Glove winner. A great base runner. Smart base runner. Uh, A marvelous ball player. I enjoyed watching him play. Um, He's borderline. But all these guys I've mentioned, with the, with the exception of the steroid guys, are okay players, except Kent, who I think is in the Hall of Fame. Now, you know, they're going to announce those people on that ballot on January 24th. But then you have the contemporary era committee ballot players, which, you know, you didn't get the votes in the uh, – it, when you were on for the regular bout for 10 years. So you get, you get another shot. So this year's candidates are Albert Bell, amazing power hitter, amazing run producer, um, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Don Mattingly, Fred McGriff, Dale Murphy, Rafael Palmero, Kurt Schilling. So yeah, the other thing I don't like about the, contemporary era committee that's post-1980 players. I don't like the makeup of the people who pick it. There are 16 guys. Some of them are a couple of ex-Hall of Famers, I believe. Some writers, some executives. That's how Harold Baines got in. Harold Baines was a good ball player. He's not a Hall of Famer. Harold Baines is in. Keith Hernandez is not. Keith Hernandez is Ten times the player that Harold Baines was. There's no comparison. Keith Hernandez should have made the Hall of Fame on his first ballot in the regular um, voting system. But uh, it's, it's ridiculous. And Keith Hernandez isn't even on this ballot. 
which is a joke. Uh, but um, I assume they got to get 12 out of 16 votes. I don't know if uh, any of the cheaters, Bonds and Clemens or Palmero, uh, are going to get in that way. Albert Bell did not get along with the press. He was a little eccentric, um, but he was a tremendous ball player. He probably should have been voted in on the regular Hall of Fame committee. Then you have Kurt Schilling. To me, Kurt Schilling should be in, but uh, because the Baseball Writers Association of America don't like his outspoken views, really, what does, you know, what does he say? I mean, it's freedom of speech. Uh, he lost his job at ESPN because he put something on his private Twitter account. Interesting. You know, it's a private Twitter account. I think Kurt Schilling's a Hall of Famer. Uh, then, you look at, then you look at Dale Murphy, underrated player. Uh, he back-to-back MVP in 82 and 83 for the Braves, uh, home run leader in the NL in 84 and 85 for the Braves, an outstanding center fielder. He's close. He's very close. Now, Don Manningly, I mean, he had six great years before he hurt his back. There's other players who've been injured. Dizzy Dean broke his foot and was never the same. He got into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Sandy Colfax had five incredible years. I think he won 158, 159 games. And he got into the Hall of Fame on those five incredible years. And then he was forced to retire. Manningly played a couple years after that with his bad back. Um, I think that Manningly should be in the Hall of Fame based on that. I know one thing. He's, he's twice the player, three times the player that Harold Baines is. So, again, it's really weird how, how they do this. But that's my uh, – I'll stop pontificating right on, and on no, the Hall A lot of, of New Yorkers want Manningly in the Hall no matter what, right? Yeah, no, I, and I mean – I think if he gets in, I don't think anybody can say anything. I mean, you know, are you kidding me? Bill's Ma- Bill Mazeroski's in the Hall of Fame. Um, okay, he was a great defensive second baseman. And I am not discounting defense, but where is, where is Mattingly? Where is Keith Hernandez? Keith Hernandez is everything what Brooks Robinson was at third base for the Baltimore Orioles in the 60s and 70s. They're like carbon copies of each other. Uh, and Brooks Robinson, not as good a hitter as Keith Hernandez, got into the Hall of Fame on the, the first try. Keith Hernandez should have been in the Hall of Fame long ago. Oh, we will see what the Veterans Committee does. Now, I, I cannot let you go without asking you, and I was trying to avoid hockey, but I can't because no matter what, the fact is the uh, Rangers blew a huge lead in the third period against the Oilers, and I think that sets a downhill motion for them. I know uh, tonight they're playing the Devils. We'll get to that in another terminal I'll take maybe later in the week. But for right now, your initial reaction to them, you know, allowing three goals to lose it on, 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 on Saturday, and if that really is the start of the downward spiral for a team that was supposed to be higher up in the conference. Right. You're right. They, so far they have disappointed. They've gone, they haven't gone off to a, a great start. They're, they're not obviously uh, in any danger right now because you want to be, at, at, as they say, at American Thanksgiving, you want to be close to that final playoff spot, and uh, they are. But on Saturday, they were the better team for two periods. And Edmonton had been shut out by the Islanders two, uh, three nights earlier. 
Uh, and uh, the Devils beat them uh, on Monday night of that week. Uh, I never expected for the Rangers to blow a 3 nothing lead. Um, Shashurkin, a great goalie, has been a little off, just a little bit so far. Uh, but um, the Rangers took a bad penalty late in the third period, and Edmonton, who has a very good power play, scored a power play goal. And uh, But that's... That's a, a game that at the end of the year that you say that's a point or two that we gave away. Um, that's disappointing. And tonight, obviously, are playing the hottest team in the league uh, who, if it wasn't for three goals being disallowed uh, last Wednesday night, uh, which got the fans all hot and bothered and they were throwing everything on the ice at Prudential Center, uh, the Devils would be going for, let's see, would be going for their 17th, straight win tonight, which would, be, which would have tied an NHL record that the Penguins have. But uh, they've won 15 out of 16, and they're the real deal. If their goaltending holds up and Vancek has been great, uh, the Devils might make the playoffs. And I did not think that was possible uh, going into the season. I thought that you'd see an upward trend. I, I didn't think they'd be one of the eight. But they are fast. They are deep. And uh, they have six pretty good defensemen. No, on that point, you know, I never knew that the Newark fans were so hyped up for the the Devils. I thought they were kind of like lifeless there because of the the downward spiral. But no, uh, Thursday night showed them. I think for the first time in a while that New Jersey fans care about their Devils hockey. Well, the Devils have always had a of a passionate fan base, but uh, obviously the last four or five years they haven't been any close to the playoffs at all. Uh, but now. By finishing low in the standings, they had some good draft uh, picks, or they've had some good draft positions, and they picked right. Obviously, you can have a lot of you can have a lot of uh, teams could have in any sport could have good draft positions, but you got to pick the right guy, and uh, uh, they have. Jack Hughes is gonna. Uh, we haven't even seen how good Jack Hughes is going to be. He's 21 years old. We're not even close seeing how Jack Hughes is going to be. He sure is, is, is uh, coming to another level. They signed Doug Hamilton last year. He was the best defenseman out there, and uh, he's been tremendous for them. Uh, Tatar, that was a great pickup. Um, I mean, if, if they get good goaltending, they should be okay. Absolutely. All right, Lou, I'll tell you what. We should have you back next, a little bit later this week to talk about the, the, the Devil-Ranger game finale or final, and then talk about the USA-Iran. And, you know, it's tough to pack a NBA in all this because we're talking about a lot of hot sports. So let's get back on the NBA track as well because, you know, Kyrie's now there every day, it seems like, and he's been uh, boostering, boosting this team up a little bit. Well, maybe we'll do a part two this week, Lou. How about that? Anytime, I'm here for you anytime. I love doing it. Well, I'm Alex Garrett. That was Terminalo's Taken. We'll get some more unknowns for you as the week progresses. The sports news isn't seeming to stop or slow down now, right, Lou? It is not. It, and it's going to rev up as we get into uh, down the stretch here in the NFL, college bowl season, uh, the college basketball season picking up, uh, the NBA and NHL seasons going into their uh, going into the uh, uh, their second quarter of the season. So a lot, of, a lot of stuff on the table. And next week, the baseball meetings start – you might see some big-name signings next week. Maybe a Judgment Day. We'll have to see, right? It could be Judgment Day. 
All right, Lou. Well, on that note, thanks for joining us tonight and uh, for your breakdown of everything going on. But we're not done yet. Stay tuned for more of Terminal House Take this week on Alex Garrett's Sports Spotlight.